following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Dave York. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, it's just my joy to open God's word with you. And... Um, the privilege of leading this church, what what God is doing is amazing to us. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but um, for me, anyway, um, the fight for faith is real. It's very real. Um, it's hard when you want some answers and you don't get them. It's hard when you see things transpiring around you that you think, uh, don't match up with what you believe God's word might say. Uh, it's challenging when you are crying out to God for certain answers. And it seems like, as we just sang, the heavens are silent. And over the last, I don't know, um, six to nine weeks, this has been my reality. And the Lord has been showing me that part of my issue, and one of my main issues, is the issue of patience. Anybody struggle with patience? Right? Yeah. Um, so I, I thought this week, I thought, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder what makes our culture so impatient. So I just did a few little online searches just to ask some questions, right? Um, what is the average wait time for fast food? It's a minute 45 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let me clap, you know, uh, right. I also thought this one, like, I thought, what is the average wait time at the DMV? Ooh. I can feel your disdain. I mean, it's just like, ugh. Interestingly, I found some interesting things. <clears throat> In Missouri, it's 15 minutes. And Stan would say, well, yeah, it's the greatest state on the planet, right? That's where it stands from. In Wisconsin, it's 10 minutes. What? I mean, in Oregon, 34 minutes. That's a lie. I mean, that is not true, right? But in South Carolina, it's 66 minutes. The great state of Texas is 84 minutes. Like, what are they doing there? Right? It's like from Zootopia, you know, the sloth that, you know, what it feels like. What about, what about the average wait time at a traffic light? 75 seconds. Doesn't it sound like 75 hours? It feels like that. Especially when you got Aunt B in front of you, you know, and you're like, hey, yo, green, can't get any greener, you know. Um, it just feels, I mean, living in the world we live in, where everything comes to us immediate. About 15 years ago, I was in a sermon, and one of the guys said, we have yet to see the effect on a culture that can get everything they want in a moment at their fingertips. And we're living in that right now. You want a new song? Spotify, pop it up. You don't have to go down to, you know, goodies anymore. Right? You want a movie? You just download it. Instantly watch it. Living in this world, we can get anything we want now doesn't help us with impatience. But here's a, here's a big question. This is where my soul is at. What is the average wait time for God to fulfill his promises? 
This morning, we're going to look at a chapter in the Bible from the life of Abram, where God told him that he would fulfill his promises, just not yet. And it's an incredible lesson for us living in an impatient world. See, God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. And some of God's promises are more than 2,000 years old. And we're still waiting for them to happen. We long for God to restore this world to his original plan, don't we? I mean, we see craziness in our world just saying, all right, it's any time now. God's going to do his thing, and it hasn't happened. We long for God to bring lasting peace and cause all the fighting to stop. And yet, I don't know if you read this week, another war breaking out. We long for God to show himself powerful and bring this world to its knees. And yet the history books are still being written. How about you? I need this lesson today. I, I need it. You need it. We need it. Our hearts are just impatient. We're, we're literally spiritually, we're living in a fast food world, thinking that God's promises pop out as quickly as chicken nuggets. But listen, God is instead operating a five-star restaurant. We're finger painting. And God is creating and preparing a masterpiece, which takes a long time. Our impatience needs this. So with that, we're going to turn our attention to Genesis 15 this morning. And here's what I pray we're going to learn in Genesis 15. God has promised to fulfill his promises and has proven this by the covenant of grace. Now, I cannot tell you how important this is to your soul. That the covenant of grace, what God has done in Christ, is to be the ultimate source of all joy and satisfaction and fulfillment of God in your life. If it is not, you're going to get disgruntled and impatient and angry in this world. I'm going to read it again so we can see it clearly. God has promised to fulfill his promises and has proven this by the covenant of grace. So let's stand together. We're going to read Genesis 15, 1 through 21. <clears throat> This is the reading of God's word. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. 
And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half against over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a dreadful and dark, darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with, a great, with great possessions. As for you, you shall go down to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great Euphrates, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Riphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Father, we do not come to your word without the desperate need of you opening our eyes to see and to hear and to feel. So would you today open our eyes to the astounding truths that are found in the covenant of grace? And give us faith, faith to believe that all that you've said and done is true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there is simply no overstating how important Genesis 15 is to the story of Abram and to the entire biblical narrative. It stands at the beginning and at the center, really, of the Abram story, but it's really the beginning, if you will, of our understanding of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. In this chapter, we see an ongoing moment when God is revealing to us the understanding of what it means to be justified or made right with God by faith alone in Christ alone. And we see what's called the covenant of grace ratified and started. In one sermon, just being honest with you, it is next to impossible to do justice to a text that is as historically important to our faith as this text is. There are certain texts in the Bible that you must spend time in and meditate on, and marvel at. And Genesis 15 is one of those that if you ever want to be a person that just meditates on chapters, this is one of those chapters. 
the way we're going to attack this chapter is we're going to look at the overall story. We're going to look at the promises in the text, and we're going to examine the questions of Abram. And then we're going to turn our attention to the ratifying or the sealing of the covenant of grace. And then we're going to look at the importance of faith in Abram's life and in our Christian journey. So let's jump in and start with the promises and questions. Our text begins with an encounter that Abram had with God in verse 1. You're going to notice this is after these things, and this is following up the Genesis 14 great victory that he had over the four-kingdom alliance to rescue Lot and his family, to get back all of Lot's possessions once again. And then when Abram having the encounter with the king priest of Salem, Melchizedek, and literally bowing down to him and offering offering him a tribute. Melchizedek was the eternal line, the eternal priestly line. And the Lord gave Abram in this moment a command and a promise. Notice what it is. Fear not. I am your shield and your reward will be great. Now, the language in the text could be stated and really should be stated. I am your protector and I am your reward. Now, when you see how personal this interaction is for God, when God encounters Abram, he says to Abram, I am. Notice that very clearly. Not I was, not I will be, but I am currently, right now, present in your life, Abram. I am your protector, and I am your reward. And he called Abram by name. Called him by name. Friend, do you know that your God knows your name? Man, years ago, preaching on John 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, said if Jesus had not called Lazarus by name, every dead man in the graveyard would have stood up. Friend, God called Abram by name. It's personal to God. But think about how personal this is to Abram. This is not some deity who just spun the earth on its axis and stepped away and walked away. This is not some low-level God who bows to the will of men. This is the God of heaven, the Lord of earth, relating to God, relating to Abram personally, calling him by name. We got the transcendent God who is imminent and near to us. Wow. This personal interaction you're going to find in Genesis 15 just fills the text. And it shows us how God relates to us as his people personally. And it shows us how we relate to God personally. See, distinct in the Christian religion is this personal interaction with the living, transcendent, holy God. That you and I, you and I, human beings could have a personal relationship with the living God. And Genesis 15 reveals to us how that takes place. What what a gift. Now, you notice in the text, you're going to notice something as you follow the text from, oh, down through verse 3 all the way forward. You're going to notice that God spoke four times in the text after verse 1. And Abram only spoke twice. In the three times that God spoke in the text, he gave promises to Abram. And the promises had to do with two main things. The promised son 
and the promised land. And the two times that Abram spoke, he had questions, respectful questions. So what we're going to do is just take those questions and the promises a little separately and just look at them for a moment, just to get a feel for the flow of the text. Notice Abram's question in verse verses 2 and 3. O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. See, this question with God's promise to Abram is has to do with the promise that God has already made to him in Genesis chapter 12 and 13, where God promised to make him a great nation, and his offspring would be like the sand of the seashore. So in Abram's mind, like it would be in our minds, how could he be a great nation and have offspring that would be numerous, but he doesn't have his own child? How's that going to take place? Now, the laws of their land allowed for them that if they didn't have a son, an heir, they could adopt a servant from their household to become their heir. That's why he mentions Eliezer from Damascus. But God seemed to be promising something different than that. And Abram is childless at this moment. And you'll notice what he asks is basically this very respectful question. Oh, Lord God. He approaches God with this attitude, not of anger, not of sarcasm, not of impatience, just, hey, God, when, you've already said this twice. When, when will this take place? When will you answer and fulfill your promise? And notice God's response to him in verses 4 and 5. Eliezer won't be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he takes him outside and says, number the stars, and if you can, your family's going to outnumber the stars. See, God answers these, this question with a prompt, with a prompt. Your very own son will be your heir. Well, let's look at the next interaction, though. To get the promised son, let's look at the promised land. God issued the promise of the land. And God told Abram that this is why God took him out of the land of, of Ur, of the Chaldeans, and to give him this very land that he is living upon. Now, at this point, Abram does something that you and I would do, right? He looked around his world, and he just remembered he's coming out of a war. He's just defeated this four-kingdom alliance. He also knows of all the other ites that are listed in verses 19 through 21 are occupying this land, and he pondered a question. Oh, Lord God, how will I know? That this is true. How will I know? Yeah, you give me this promise of the land, but Lord, I, I need I need some fact. I need something that's going to make me know that this is indeed what you're going to do. And notice what happens. Notice what God does. At this point, God told Abram to bring him sacrifices. Cut them in, and then he cuts them in half, and he places them on opposite sides of one another. And then in that moment, a sleep falls over Abram, and God then tells him something next. Notice what he says to him. Know for certain that your family will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. But that, that's not what I ask. 
and they'll be servants there and afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation who oppressed them, and when they leave the land, they will come out with great possessions. But you, Abram, you're not going to go there. You're going to die in peace as an old man after living a great life. I'm just waiting for the sins of the Amorites to be completed. Now, these words that are spoken here would have meant something to Abram and to his people later, the original readers of the story of Genesis, who were Moses' people who had just left Egypt. Abram's family would be sojourners, just like Abram was a sojourner in Genesis chapter 12 in Egypt. And God would curse and judge the nation who oppressed his people, just like God had promised Abram that God would bless the nations who bless him and curse the nations who didn't bless him. And his family would leave that oppressive nation with great possessions, just like Abram did when he left Egypt. And God was just waiting for the right time to deal with the Amorites. And the Amorites were just simply descendants of the Canaanites, whom God had already previously determined he was going to bring eradication to them because of their immorality and their decadence and their absolute evil. But these words would have meant something as well to Moses' people. Again, remember, we've talked about this on the journey through the book of Genesis, that more than likely Moses is writing the story of Genesis as they've left Egypt on their way to the promised land. And maybe by the fires at night, Moses gathered them around and said, let me read to you what I wrote today about your history. And then they come to Genesis chapter 15, and they begin to hear this story, knowing Genesis 15 is talking about them. Because they had been in Egypt for 400 years under the the evil slavery tyrant of Pharaoh. He was the man holding them captive. Yet God came in and judged Egypt harshly. And the Egyptians sent Abram's people out with Egypt, out of Egypt with lots of possessions. Basically telling them, get out of here and take everything we have. And the Amorites awaited in that promised land. And all God is saying through Genesis 15 is, The Amorites are there, and there's no reason to fear because now it's time. Their fulfillment has come. I want you to notice something in this promise of a son and promise of the land. Notice the delays and notice the obstacles. Abram would have his own son, just not yet. How long will he have to wait? We're not told. And he's not a youngster. He's getting up there in age. Neither is his wife, Sarai. How's it going to happen? We're not told yet. And it will take longer than 400 years, much longer, because he's going to have people that are going to go into slavery for 400 years to finally get the promised land that God promised him in Genesis 12, 13, and now 15. And it'll all happen after they've been enslaved. And guess what, Abram? It's all going to happen after you die. But don't worry about that, Abram. You're going to die peacefully. Now just think about this moment with me, just for a moment, and just notice a couple things with me. I want you to see this. We've got to see this very clearly. God's promises 
are not usually now propositions. I want to say it again so you can hear it very clearly. God's promises are not usually now propositions. Many of God's promises don't come until after death. I can feel it, right? Wait, what? I thought God was going to bless me now. I mean, what about the chicken nugget promises that take an hour, I mean, a, a minute, 45 seconds to get to? What are those? Just just think of some examples with me. Abram's promised land would not come until his family to his family until after he died. Moses' people would be led by Joshua into the promised land after Moses died outside the promised land. King David's house of the Lord, the temple of the living God, was built after David died. And all those promises were given to those men that God would indeed do these things. See, we should get our heads wrapped around this in our impatient world and culture that we live in. Most of God's promises are not now propositions. That's why, listen, this whole fight and this anxiety to live your best life now can give us a faulty time frame about God's promises. And it will create in us impatience and anger and frustration and disappointment. But I also want you to notice something else here. Notice that God does not shy away from Abram's respectful questions. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this about God. Maybe you, like the saints of old, you wonder, how long, oh God? How long? How long will evil prosper? How long will your people suffer? How long until we see the the completion of your promises and the fulfillment of all things? I mean, we can relate, can't we? You feel it. You can feel it in your soul. We long, we wait, we wonder. When will eternal peace finally be realized? When will health finally be whole again? When will God's glory fill the earth like the waters cover the sea? Oh, Lord, when? How long, oh, God? And yet God does not shy away from these questions. Listen, friends, nor is he bothered by them. Rather, listen, dear Christian, listen, God anticipates them and he answers them. Do, do you do you hear that? God anticipates them and he answers them. This is why we cannot ignore the opening command and promise in the entire chapter. The most repeated command in the Bible is fear not. Did you know that? The most comedic, com- com- the most, the most repeated command in the Bible is fear not. And God knew Abram's questions were coming and knew there would be delays in time and commands him to not be afraid. But notice why he's to not be afraid. Notice why. Because Abram, I am your protector and I am your reward. 
Do you see this? The promises of a son and the land were not nearly as precious as a relationship with the living God. Did you see it? God is your shield. He is your inheritance. A son will be sweet, a sweet joy. But God, God is your protector. God is your provider. The land will be a remarkable gift, but God is your ultimate reward. All the possessions of the earth could fail to come to you, but God, listen, believer, God has given you himself. It's fascinating is virtually every time God gives the command to fear not, it is followed with a promise that God's presence is with us in some way. Don't miss that. You know why you shouldn't miss that? (laughs) Because God, what a father. He anticipates our troubled hearts, and he says, you're not. I'm, I'm with you. I am yours and you are mine. Let's talk. Let's relate. I, all the stuff out there that you're waiting on is not nearly as wonderful as a relationship with me. Christian, do you, do you hear this? Do you see this? Do you feel it? See, do you, is it in your soul? Or are you waiting for all the external stuff to happen before you will say, God is faithful? No, no, no. God is saying he is faithful because he's given us himself. You're aware, aren't you, that if the God of the universe had never sent Jesus Christ to be your savior, that the God of the universe is still worthy to be worshiped. Yet what he did was send his son to save you so the God of the universe could relate with you. Don't miss that. God answers with himself. That's a great lead into our second point, which is the covenant of grace ratified. We're going to see this in verses 9 through 21. You see why we need this message? Because I would gather to say that most of us are waiting for policies to change, certain elected officials to be done, certain news things to stop, certain sins to get done in our world. And God basically says, yeah, 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 yeah. You've got me. Christian, we need this. Maybe you're like Abram and you've wondered, how will we know that God will fulfill his promises? I mean, Abram wondered, how would he know he would possess the promised land? And as we mentioned earlier, in that moment, God told him to bring sacrifices, bring animals, and he cut them in half and he placed them on opposite sides of one another. But what happens next in the text is stunning. Absolutely stunning. And it would have shocked the Jewish mind. God put Abram asleep, declared the promise about Abram's offspring and the promised land happening after 400 years. And then notice, God walked 
between the sacrifices as symboled by a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Each of these parts would have spoken volumes to the Jewish people. Because when a covenant was ratified, the two parties in agreement would take an animal, they'd cut it in half. They'd put an opposite side to one another, and they would walk through that covenant in a figure eight style, sign of infinity, symbolizing that they were agreeing to fulfill the obligations of the covenant. And if they didn't fulfill the obligations of the covenant, they should end up like the animal. It's a solemn agreement. The people of Israel who drew up covenants regularly, this would have been stunning because notice in this covenantal moment, notice what's happening. Abram's asleep. And God, God passed through the sacrifices on his own. See, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch were pictures to the people of Israel that this was the presence of God. You know why they knew that? Because they were experiencing it. As they left Egypt, by day, they had a cloud of smoke that led them, and by night, they had a pillar of fire that led them. The presence of God was leading them. They knew what this meant. The smoke and fire symbolizing God's zeal and holiness show us that God is the only one moving between these sacrifices to fulfill the covenant obligations on his own, and failure is not an option. Friends, what you're reading in Genesis 15 is stunning. God is obligating himself and swearing by himself that he would fulfill the covenant with his people. Now, there is there is so much to draw out of this that I'm just going to pick two. Again, I want you to recognize that God does not leave Abram's questions hanging. I want you to see this. And the reason I want you to see this is because maybe you think in your mind that to go to God respectfully and just say, God, I, I don't, I don't understand what's happening in our world. Could you give me some, something that could show me? Could you help me wrestle out the issues of my heart? God will not leave you hanging. Notice what God does in the text. He gave Abram an objective, real, historical moment that Abram could always refer to if he ever questioned God's covenantal grace again. Friends, God does not leave your questions hanging. You know what God did for you and for us? He answers with an objective, real, historical moment that you can always refer to. So you may wonder some things about God. Listen to the promises that I'm going to bring up on the screen and just see if you can spot the objective, real, historical moment when God shows us that we know he will always fulfill his promises. Do you question God's love for you? Maybe you've wondered that. First John 3 says it very clearly. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. 
You question God's provision of you. Wondering, is God going to put milk and bread on my table? Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you see your job coming to end. Maybe you're worried about the economy. Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, do you question God's grace toward you? (laughs) And do you wonder, does God and Jesus ever think about me? Am I on their mind? Well, Romans 8 says it clearly. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? The objective, real, historical moment that we see started in Genesis 15 is fulfilled in the moment when God promised to fulfill all promises in Christ by giving us Christ. His death, I mean, his life, his death, his resurrection is that moment that you can go back to any time and wonder, is God going to fulfill all he promised? The Apostle Paul went so far to say this in 2 Corinthians 1, speaking of Jesus, for all promises of God find their Yes, in him. That is why through him, Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Do you, do you see, Christian, in response to your questions to God, here's all that God just says is, did, did you see my son? God does not leave you hanging in your questions. God answered, and he answered emphatically with a historical, real, objective moment that you can always point back to that says God will always be faithful to his people because this is what he has done. The other thing I want you to notice is notice how God relates to his people. It's through a covenant called the covenant of grace. Don't miss this. Friends, what obligation was Abram to fulfill here? The dude is asleep. I've watched some of you sleep in here. You're not responsive. Who passed through the covenant? The sacrifices. God did. What the New Testament does for us is it clarifies what's happening in this moment. Hebrews 6 put it this way. When God made a promise to Abram, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. And then he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Don't you need an anchor for your soul? I need one. Because I sway back and forth between frustration, impatience, unbelief, wondering, is God really going to do what he promised? And we have a sure and steady anchor within the veil, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And notice what he connects it to. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, the covenant of grace ratified in Genesis 15 points us ahead 
to the final revelation of God's covenant of grace in Christ. What you're going to notice in the Bible is there's covenants ratified that are covenants of grace. They find their conclusion, their finality in Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. This is why Jesus came. It's why he lived. It's why he died. It's why he rose again in our place. Just like God walking through the sacrifices in Abram's place, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled the obligations for us. And because we failed, he laid himself down to die for us. God swore by himself that he would fulfill this covenant and we, his people, have nothing to do with ratifying this covenant. God did it. God fulfilled it. See, this is how God relates to us as his people. By his grace, his unmerited favor, sinners who deserve the wrath of God become recipients of his blessings. Enemies who deserve condemnation become children of the living God and heirs of a relationship with the living God. God never leaves us alone, never forsakes us because of his covenant of grace. Friends, this means the forgiveness of sin, a right relationship with God, does not come through your hard work or your good deeds. It comes because God is a God of grace, because that's how God relates to his people. Are you aware that in the covenant of grace, you are more loved than you could ever dream, and you're more forgiven than you could ever imagine. Are you aware of that? Because chances are this week you blew it. Multiple times. And instead of running to your God, you ran to your good works. To prove to God that you were serious. The God of all grace says, just come. Confess your sin to me and I will be faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Just come. But God, I'm so tired. I'm worn out. This world is beating me down. Then just come. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. But God, it feels like we're separated, like you're not near me, that you don't have a relationship with me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the covenant of grace, we are more loved than we could ever dream, more, more forgiven than we could ever hope for. It's, it's beyond our wildest imagination. That leads us nicely into the last point, which is believing God. You're going to see this in verse 6, and I put it here for a reason because verse 6 is like, I don't know how to put it. It's like, it's like the binding, it's like the binding of the book. You know, it's like the thing that's holding this chapter together. It's, 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 it, 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 just, it, it connects both promises and it connects the, the questions. I mean, when you think of faith, what do you think of? You know, we think of like believing the unseen, you know, like a pie in the sky. Some people think pie in the sky, you know, just kind of whatever, you know, just ideas, thoughts. 
But notice what we're told in the text. It's fascinating. Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, what's happening in the moment? Again, just remember the narrative, what's going on here. All that's happening is the Lord has given Abram some reassuring and yet challenging promises. And Abram believed what God told him. That's important to note, this is not the first time that Abram believed. Some people would say, they said, this is Abram's saving moment. No, it's not. Because according to Hebrews 11, we're told that he left his homeland and he did it in faith. So the dude's already got faith. A.P. Ross wrote it like this. This verse may be a summary statement of Abram's faith. A transitional note between sections. In either, in either, in other words, the text does not necessarily mean that Abram came to faith here. Genesis 15, 6 points, reports at, at, at this point, the fact that Abram believed, and for that belief, God had accredited, accredited him with righteousness. Now, verse 6 is describing to us that Abram trusted what God told him. He had confidence that God would do as God promised. He was reliant upon God to fulfill all that he had said. He took God at his word. And look at God's response. God countered it to him as righteousness. Now, this does not mean that Abram's faith earned him righteousness or made him given a favorable status before God because he had faith. Many people have adopted this idea in our world like this. If we have faith or enough faith, God will heal our diseases or he'll give us more money. As if we've got to conjure faith and then God sees our faith and goes, okay, here's all the blessings for it. That's not how God operates. That makes us greater debtors to God for doing more work for God. That's not how it works. Or some people see faith as our good work, and then God sees our good work, and then God does the good work. That's not what's happening here. Kenneth Matthews explained it like this. The text emphasizes that Abram, listen clearly, entrusted his future to what God would do for him as opposed to what he could do for himself to obtain the promises. Abram can do nothing to enter into the promise. He can only rely on the Lord. This benevolence is not the reaction of God to Abram's faith as though it obtained the covenant. Instead, Abram believed that God would indeed give him the family of descendants as promised. Treatment of Abram's faith in 15.6 as an act like that of conformity to the law or a heroic deed is unfounded. You know what Abram did in this moment? Let's just be straight what he did. Abram realized there ain't no way I can have anything apart from this. I can't get this blessing. But God, you said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And he laid himself at the mercy and grace of God and knew he had nothing to offer God and no ability to accomplish what God had promised. That's why it makes it so faulty to say that if we have more faith, God will then do this. No, that's that's simply operating as if we can do something to get God's blessing. That is an impossibility in the economy of God. The economy of God, God works with his people through the covenant of grace. And all Abram did was lay himself bare before God, knowing I cannot get this done. 
And I believe, God, that you alone can accomplish all that you've said. And in that moment, God accounted to him righteousness, meaning God said, this one's my friend. This one is right with me. This one who's empty of himself, who thinks he's got nothing to offer, he has no way to accomplish anything that would be eternal of value, this one is mine. And he granted Abram a right standing with God and access to God by declaration of God, not by an act of Abram. Now, friends, I said at the beginning, there is simply no overstating how important this is to the Christian life. Martin Luther declared that this doctrine, being made right with God by faith alone through Christ alone, justification by faith is the article by which the church stands or falls. Meaning, it is it is like the pin in the door. If you pull it, it falls. It is that important to our faith. This understanding of Genesis 15 must penetrate so deeply into our souls that we do not begin to think covenant of grace, yet act in covenant of works. Paul wrote in Romans 4 like this, For if Abram was justified by works, he has something to boast about. You see the danger of saying, if we do this, God does. See the danger of that? What creates that? You go back to, look what I did. We all do that. But not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Now, what does that mean? It means that we're made right with God, not through human achievement or performance, but by faith in what God has said and what God has done. In connecting Abram's faith to ours, Paul continues in Romans 4 when he wrote this, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him, listen clearly, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justifications. Do you see? Do you see this? Like Abram before us, we are made right with God and accounted right before God by faith in the fact that Jesus lived in our place, died in our place, and rose again in our place. So do you believe this? I mean, is this in your soul? Are you fully convinced this is what God has said? See, belief doesn't mean that you don't ask God questions. Are you aware of that? Doesn't mean you don't ask God questions. No, you know this God. And he loves on you like a caring father loves on his children. He anticipates your questions. He comes after you personally. Sits with you. Dialogues with you. 
Belief means that we just simply say, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. I have no ability to my own to make it happen. But I believe you're able. I believe that you will fulfill everything you have said. And we will stake our life upon his promises. Belief means that we trust that the objective historical reality of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the only thing that can make us right with God. Do you believe God? Faith is simply taking God at his word. So friends, listen, the Bible says that one day, this world will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You know what that means? All of your anxieties over the things of this world, do you literally know good? Do you believe? This means that one day, the Prince of Peace will ride in on a white horse, and with one word, he will declare everything to be done, and it will be done. And while you're wrestling in your soul, like, why isn't God going to judge that situation or deal with that situation? It's just a wrestling match that gets you nowhere. Do you believe, are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised? And are you fully convinced that God deals with you by grace? Are you fully convinced? Or, listen, have the promises or have the delays of the promises just cause you to question God's faithfulness? Has your impatience Possibly your own misunderstanding of how patient God is clouded your confidence in God. And what I'm going to call us to this morning is do something really simple. We're going to go back. And we're going to look at, once again, the objective, historical, real moment, Christ dying for us. You know why? That's the moment that proves God will fulfill everything he promised. The way we're going to do that this morning is by communion. Do you see why we should do communion? Do you know what it is? It is going back 2,000 years ago and saying, this is what he did. And knowing this is what he will do. That's what it is. And here as we do this, I just want you to hear the Lord say something fascinating. I have fulfilled everything I promised, and nothing will stop me from doing all that I have planned. So let's pray to prepare our hearts for communion this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, it's a good moment right now just to take some time to examine your own soul before God. Is there unbelief? Is there impatience? Is there anger? Is there pride? Is there sinful, selfish ambition lurking in the dark corners and you know it? Is there immorality? Is there a broken relationship with another brother or sister that you need to remedy? This is a good moment before the Lord to just Confess your sin. Deal with it before the Lord. 
if necessary, go to that brother or sister if they're here and ask them to forgive you and get that reconciled. If you're not a Christian, this is a great moment for you to look at your life and realize that God is relating to you according to the covenant of of works. And you can change that relationship forever by believing in Christ. Maybe this morning you need to put your faith and your hope in the God of the universe. And you can do that by just telling God that you believe in Christ. You confess and acknowledge that you're a sinner and in need of a Savior. And Jesus is it. Father, we come this morning and we are so desperately in need of the covenant of grace. We need constant reminders that you have come for us. We need constant reminders that you will indeed fulfill your promises. And I thank you that you you anticipate this and you have given us the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the living proof. that you have begun a good work and you will complete the good work. And we come, Lord, your people come and we confess our sin. Forgive us for our impatience. Forgive us for our criticism of others. Forgive us for being self-righteous. Forgive us for being proud. Forgive us, Lord, for being greedy and forgive us for for sticking our nose into the things of the world so much that we have forgotten you. Forgive us. Deal with our hearts. And, Father, as we take communion as your people this morning, would you would you speak through each of these elements to us that you... You are saying, I have fulfilled what I promised, and I will complete what I have planned. And I pray you bring rest into the souls of your people. Bring peace in their relationship with you and in their view of the world, that you are doing a work. You've never stopped working. And you will fulfill all your promises and you will use your people to do so. But you'll do it in your time and in your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.